0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Look of Silence is Joshua Oppenheimer's powerful companion piece to the Oscar-nominated The Act of Killing. Through Oppenheimer's footage of the perpetrators of the 1965 Indonesian genocide, a family of survivors discovers how their son was murdered, as well as the identities of the killers. The documentary focuses on the youngest son, an optometrist named Adi, who decides to break the suffocating spell of submission and terror by doing something unimaginable in a society where the murderers remain in power. He confronts the men who killed his brother, and while testing their eyesight, asks them to accept responsibility for their actions. This unprecedented film initiates and bears witness to the collapse of 50 years of silence. We're joined today by the director of The Look of Silence, and that would be Joshua Oppenheimer. Joshua, welcome to Film School.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 I've just described in what the film is about, but This film and its companion piece, The Act of Killing, presented you with an, I would say, almost unprecedented opportunity. Um, I want want to talk a little bit about how that window between the time when The Act of Killing came out and the time that you were working on the follow-up, The Look of Silence, those circumstances, because I think that's what gives The Look of Silence so much power, is its ability to navigate these uncharted waters where the perpetrator's are still in power. And I, I think it's an important. So describe for our listeners a little bit about that that opportunity as a presenter.
1: Sure. Itself. So so it's there's never been a film before this where survivors confront perpetrators who still hold a monopoly on power because it's too dangerous. And when I returned to Indonesia in 2012 after editing The Act of Killing, but before it had its first screenings, uh, I Sat down with the main character Adi Rukun, the the man who had encouraged me to actually film the perpetrators, at de- start filming the perpetrators a decade earlier, and I said, "What do you think we should do for this second film?" And he said, "I've spent seven years watching the footage you shot with the perpetrators, uh, and it's changed me." And I need to meet them. I need to confront them. I need to see if they can take responsibility for what they've done. And at first I said, absolutely not. It's too dangerous. There's not never been a film like this before. Uh, and then Adi explained why he wanted to. He felt that by going to the perpetrators, not out of anger, not out of revenge, but trying to break the silence that's been in place between perpetrators and survivors for decades, they would respond to his humanity, acknowledge responsibility, and take, and he would forgive, and therefore leave, create a future for his children where they need not be afraid of their neighbors. And when he told me this, I was moved and thought about it and realized because we'd shot the act of killing, I was well known across the region for being close to some of the most powerful men in the country, men like the vice president of Indonesia, uh, National heads of para, the, of the paramilitary organizations and so forth, and the men Adi wanted to confront were regionally powerful, but not nationally powerful, and they would be uh, they would hesitate to uh, attack or even detain us because they wouldn't want to upset their superiors, whom they believed were close to me, because the act of killing hadn't. Film hadn't, hadn't, hadn't screened yet, hadn't premiered yet, and so this—the making of, this, of a film as unique and strange. As the act of killing created this kind of almost bizarre opportunity to do this unpre- unprecedented thing in reasonable safety, and so—and so—that was how we were able to do this. But I understood we weren't likely to get the apology Adi was hoping for. I understood that what we were more likely to do was film the, a complex array of very human reactions that are inevitable when someone goes into your house and says you've killed my brother can you take responsibility for this a mixture of panic and guilt and fear of guilt and therefore defensive reactions like anger and threats and denial of responsibility feeling if i could film that with intimacy and precision i could show uh, make visible the previously invisible abyss of fear and guilt that divides everybody when you have uh, impunity in the aftermath of atrocities.
0: Uh, Joshua, describe for us as concisely as possible um the act of killing. Um for those of you listeners who haven't seen it, uh, you have to you should see this film for all many different reasons. But explain a little bit about what it was in, in, in and this, in, in this b- yeah. in
1: particular now, in particular, they should see, if they haven't seen it, or if they've only seen a shorter theatrical U.S. theatrical cut of the film, they should see the unabridged version of the film, which is where you where you really feel it's a two-and-a-half-hour two cut of the film. It's on Netflix. It's on,
0: yeah.
1: um, at least in the U.S., it's on uh, DVD and Blu-ray and so on. It, but there you really see how the two films form a single work in the uncut act of killing. You see in the act of killing... Uh, in order to understand why the perpetrators are boastful. They don't just tell, they don't soberly testify to what they've done, they boast about it. And to understand why they're performing in this way, instead of testifying, I try to understand how who is their imagined audience. You see, performance always implies an audience, and I felt I was getting boastful performance i wanted to understand how they want to be seen how they want to see themselves how they really see themselves so i invite them to dramatize what they've done in whatever ways they wish and it leads to this process where they enact the lies the fantasies the stories that they tell themselves so they can live with themselves and the terrible consequences of that for the of those uh, uh, for of, of that for the whole society and you get this kind of flamboyant fever dream about fear uh, about sorry escapism and guilt, and in its uncut version, it's cut through by these moments of absolute silence, which mirror the silences in the in the in the look of silence, spaces that are haunted by the absent dead.
0: And as I think it's important to point out that the the Indonesian these are people that are in power have been in power in some form or another for the last fifty years in Indonesia, and what all of this got kicked off by. Was the uh, the military takeover of Indonesia by the part of Suharto overthrowing uh, Sukarno, and that's the, right a right wing military right-wing.
1: coup that was supported by the U.S.
0: Right, and that and led to the um, slaughter of somewhere around a million and a half people who were lumped in as communist and therefore was the justification for their slaughter. That be that's right. That's fair. So. In in this remarkable these two remarkable documents and um, I, 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 you really should see the act of killing and I'm I'm glad to hear that there is an extended version I saw I believe I saw what you were describing as the U.S. cut um, the this unbelievable um, bravado of these people who described in gleeful terms the, the the deaths of tens of thousands of people that they were responsible for. Now Adi is a um, remarkable person, and I, in the film, uh, *The Look of Silence*, you often shoot him watching footage. You don't see what he's actually seeing, but you, you, you watch his face, and in that face, in his expression, you see, you see so much. Um, tell me a little bit about what went into your decision to, to show him watching footage, and and why you wanted to, to do that.
1: Well, he he watches the boasting of the perpetrators and reframes it with this kind of moral gaze, and yeah. yet refusing, of course condemning what the perpetrators have done, but refusing to condemn the perpetrators themselves as monsters, insisting on seeing somehow their humanity and struggling to understand them. And if, and of course, that forces viewers to see them, uh, to see through Adi's eyes, and denies us the right, really, to self-righteously Imagine that we have not that that the perpetrators are, are are monsters and beneath us, because of course we may hope if we grew up in their families in that time uh, we would take different decisions come nineteen sixty five we know we're very lucky never to have to find out, and uh, in that sense, we become implicated, we start wondering what uh, we start thinking about impunity in our own society and whether we look at it with the moral clarity that adi. His, with which Adi's framing through his gaze, uh, these are this, this this sort of surreal artifacts of impunity that the, the, the perpetrators boasting constitutes. We see we do see what he's watching, although it's true most of the time we're watching him watching, and it it, it becomes this also this metaphor about seeing. It, it's one of the layers of meaning in the title of the film, mm-hmm. The Look of Silence, and it's it's about how does it 's raising the fundamental question: how does one respond to this, and in the case of Adi, he responds with this extraordinary inevitably part, at least partly doomed effort to go and confront the men who killed his brother, something that 's highly dramatic as well as being emotionally uh, emotionally gripping emotionally rich
0: rather we 're speaking with uh, Joshua Oppenheimer he's the director of the new film The Look of Silence as well as the act of killing oscar nominated uh, film from two thousand and 2014 or do I, is that right 2014 was when it was oscar nominated um okay. now again Adi as a, a, a i don't know that you could have asked for a, a a better i say vehicle i mean conveyor of what you're talking about than him given this sort of metaphor of him as an optometrist giving sight to the uh, to the perpetrators of these uh, of this slaughter and as well as his family Rouhani, his mother and is it Ruku his father who's uh, Rukun Rukun pardon me and they are uh they st- are standing for the thousands and thousands of families that suffered so tr- so tremendously in all of this um was was Rohani she seemed she seemed well she's obviously a lot of anger in in her for what had happened to her son Romli And tell us a little bit about his death and what that came to represent to many of the people in Indonesia.
1: So Romney's murder was important uh, for across that region, maybe not, not across the country, but across that region where it's a plantation region where tens of thousands of people had been taken from political prisons to rivers, decapitated, thrown in the rivers and allowed to drift out to sea. And their families were never told what had happened. They were never told that their loved ones had been killed, which left them in a terrible position of having to say for the rest of their lives really that their loved ones have not come home, uh, not yet come home, condemning people to this awful cognitive dissonance where they know they're dead, but can't say it because they've never they, they, they still have to cling to the hope or respect the possibility that they might not be. And Romney's murder was one of the only murders in the region that had witnesses. He he panicked on the way to be killed, uh, managed to escape, wounded, managed to escape, was wounded but managed to escape from the truck where they were uh, from from which they were on which they were taking him to be killed. Reached his parents' home, was fetched from his parents' home by the death squad, taken ultimately to the plantation and killed and left there. And he, there's a grave, and so. People could speak about romley 's murder as a way of speaking of what the, expressing what they couldn 't say about their own experience about their own lives mm-hmm. and so Romney gradually over the decades became a kind of synonym for the genocide as a whole and a way of a way of somehow giving voice to that grief it was it certainly wasn't wasn 't enough for people to really be able to mourn and work through, but it was a start. And, and so Romley, and to, oh, ultimately, I think, talking about Romley became a kind of act of defiance in a place where uh, people were traumatized but threatened never to talk about what happened. It was a way of talking about it.
0: And, and in the last couple of minutes, there's two things I'd really like to, to kind of talk about, and that is that many of the people—we mentioned it earlier, but I, I think it's something that bears repeating—many of the people— who were responsible for this genocide or their surrogates passing it down to uh, the next generation uh, are in power. And again, that's one of the remarkable things about the look of silence is that while, while the powerful who were in some way responsible are still accountable and still in power, there's that part of the story, which is amazing. But also um, let's talk about some of the positives, the act of killing uh, the its uh, impact on Indonesia and the politics and the social side of it, as well as now the look of silence. Uh, This must feel very gratifying to you, but talk a little bit about the reaction to the two films in Indonesia.
1: So the act of killing has helped catalyze a fundamental transformation in how Indonesia talks about its past. The mainstream media now talks about the genocide as a genocide. They talk about the terrible legacy of fear and corruption and thuggery that, that has, has characterizes the perpetrator's regime, and now the regime of the perpetrator's protégés, the, the, the successors, um, in a way that people couldn't speak before it. Before the act of killing, the mainstream media, with very few exceptions, was silent about the genocide or else celebrated it as a heroic extermination of the Indonesian left. Now it's talked about, and people I don't think this is something, it's not something people didn't know about. The film has come to Indonesia like the child in the Emperor's New Clothes, allowing people to talk about what they'd been too afraid to say before. Uh, the the film screened thousands of times, and then we put it online for free for all Indonesians to download or stream. Uh, it It's now, it's streamed, uh, it's been seen uh, in millions of times that way. For, it's available only in Indonesia that way, but it's available. And And then finally, when the film was nominated for an Academy Award, the government of Indonesia made this statement. We know what happened in 1965 was a crime against humanity. We will have reconciliation, but in our own time, we don't need a film to push us into this. It was critical of the film, but never dismissive of the film, but nevertheless wonderful because it was the first time that the government ever acknowledged this was wrong into this space opened by the act of killing has come the look of silence, receiving a wider release than we could have been possible for the act of killing. The the distributors are two government bodies, the Jakarta Arts Council and the National Human Rights Commission. Um, The first screening of the film was announced publicly with billboards. It was held in Indonesia's largest theater. A venue for about 1,500 people. 3,000 people came, so they put on a second screening. Adi, the main character, was at both screenings and received a 15 minute standing ovation after each screening. A month later, the film came out across the country with over 500 screenings on the first day, public screenings. Now we're at over 3,500 screenings. The film has catalyzed this national discussion about the urgency uh, a truth and reconciliation process and the need for some form of justice and national acknowledgement
0: what no, no, what a well i don't think I can say anything more about this uh than you just said um i want to thank you as a filmmaker and 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 as a just a human a humanitarian human being however you however you choose to accept it uh, just uh, I, what you 've done here is more than filmmaking and and um, uh, congratulations to you Joshua.
1: Oh, thank you so very much.
0: Take care. That's the director of the film, The Look of Silence, Joshua Oppenheimer. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar.